Welcome. And don't worry, I'm not Valerie Tolopilo. That's, that's my wife. Although Valerie is, can be a Russian man's name, I guess. And uh, I wish her husbands could all be here because this is the coldest room in the building. That's what I'm talking about. You could, you could store poultry in here. I like it. I like it. I want to introduce my wife to you real quick. Uh, you'll notice I want to give a shameless plug to my book. It was released last month. It's called Discipleship, God's Plan for Parenting. And it's built on a simple premise, as I'll talk about in the sanctuary in the next uh, workshop hour. The, the premise is that parenting is discipleship, right? It's what is discipleship? We lead people to Christ and then teach them everything that Jesus has taught us to obey it and to walk with him. But this will be available for a very brief time after this session and then uh, for an extended period of time um, after the next session downstairs. But if you're so inclined, please uh, feel free to get that. Uh, I'd like to introduce to you my partner of 33 years, my wife, my beloved uh, Valerie. Um, I'm convinced that the children that God gave us only had her genetic information. But uh, she is a tremendous mother, a fantastic wife, uh, a great educator, and uh, a veteran of 20 years of homeschooling. So please welcome her if you would. I can do that. Yeah. Oh, man. So sweet. <laughs> Hyperbole. <laughs> anyway. Um, they have a little watch here on the, this is kind of cool, and it has stopped. So I guess that means I can keep going and there's no time. No. Thank you, time girl. I know. I actually have my, my own little time thing here just because I know time is important. Okay, well, let's get started because we're a little behind the eight ball. Does everyone have a handout? Raise your hand if you don't, and we can get one to you. Okay. Very cool. Well, welcome to Thinking Outside the Curriculum Box Through Unit Studies. I'm going to ask a couple quick questions just so I can get an idea of who's here. How many here are brand new to homeschooling or thinking about it? Whoa! Okay, welcome to the journey. That's a lot of hands going up. How exciting. Oh, man. Okay, how many consider yourselves veterans or kind of... Yay, okay, so hold your hands up, veterans. Those who held their hands up as newbies, take a look at the hands and lock eyes with someone and say, you're mine after this session. <laughs> it's really important in homeschooling, as was mentioned, to have a community of friends and relationships that can, we can spur one another on. So that's important to know. Okay, two more quick questions. How many here have actually done unit studies? Okay, well, you want to come up and help me teach? <laughs> no. <laughs> How many are afraid to dabble in unit studies? Not too many that are nervous about it. Okay, well, that just helps me in my frame of reference to talk to you. Regardless of where you are in terms of experience in homeschooling, hopefully you've all taken some time to ponder the why we're doing what we're doing. And a lot of that was talked about in the, first, in the general session you just came from. But during our journey of homeschooling, we, we have four kids, and we homeschooled over a period of 20 years. Um, just our youngest graduated a year ago, high school. But we would often kind of stop ourselves and think, why are we doing what we're doing? And think of that overarching goal of, of the why. And what would come to our mind is just that spiritual priority. You know, we have this opportunity, more time with our kids for spiritual mentoring. So that kind of came priority number one. And Marcelo is going to talk uh, more about that in session two, if, you'll, if you're going to be in his session. But second one, what came in as a close second, was just how to engender, how to give our kids a love for learning. And I don't know if you know this. I was talking to a new prospective homeschooler a couple of weeks ago. Her first question is, what about gaps? gaps in learning, like what if I leave gaps in my kids' education, which I think all of us, if we're honest, have thought about that. Oh, is that a voice? I hear a hello, everyone. <laughs> anyway, we'll keep going with our workshop here, okay? <laughs> we're going to focus on... on um, but I told her, I don't know if you realize it, but 
every child that graduates high school, whether they're homeschooled, private school, public school, whatever education, does not have, they do not have all knowledge. Have you ever thought of that? They don't know everything there is to know about history. They don't know everything there is to know about science. They don't know every math calculation possible. They don't know everything about art. So for, if we can have in our mind that we're going to teach our children to love to learn, we're going to give them that as a priority in our homeschooling, then when they launch out, they're going to continue that process, that, that process of, of just um, discovery and, and intellectual curiosity. So priority number two, and unit studies fit really well with that second priority of, of teaching our kids to learn to love to learn. So if I could give our workshop a second title, that would probably be it. Um, and I know that for most of you, that sounds like a really tall order. Like I, I'm, I'm spiritually mentoring, I'm teaching my kids, and I've got to get them to love learning. You know, that's, that's tricky. You have multiple grade levels, probably. Uh, you have multiple ages, obviously, if you have more than one child. Uh, different temperaments, all the while, you're trying to keep the house going, laundry, dinner on the table at a decent hour. You're trying to deal with adjusting attitudes. You know, for me, it was always first and foremost my own. Um, so there's a lot going on as mom, teacher, wife, home manager. Uh, but we do, in the midst of it, have a tremendous opportunity to instill a love for learning. So keep that in the back of your minds as we dive into our topic, which is unit studies. So let's start off by asking, what is a unit study? I guess we need to know what we're do. What is it we're going to be doing? Uh, Susan Weisbauer, she wrote The Well-Trained Mind, and she has a great definition. I'll read hers. She said, a unit study integrates disciplines together rather than dividing them into separate subjects to be pursued at different times during the school day. So literature, history, science, mathematics, art, music, and so on are all studied through their relationship to a core organizing principle. And then she adds, unit studies can be a wonderful method of learning. So what makes unit studies so wonderful? Why are they wonderful to do? I'm going to give you four reasons. I'm sure there are more. For one thing, the fact that you're incorporating several subjects together around a theme, a unifying theme, it, in my mind, it's a way of teaching our kids how to look at the world as an integrated whole. In, in education, a lot of times we're, we're, everything is separated. All of the subjects are separated from one another, and it can be a little fragmented and splintered. But if we can teach our kids that all of these different things can be related to one another and, and come together in a unified whole, I think it helps them as a way of looking at the world. Um, I think of it as a puzzle. If you have puzzle pieces out on the table and you can pick up a puzzle piece and it's beautiful. It has beautiful colors on it and shapes on it. But when you start putting the puzzle pieces together, it's so much more satisfying to look at the whole puzzle, the picture that it, that it portrays. And unit studies are very good for integrating that type of learning. Reason number two, it stream, streamlines our homeschooling a bit. If we can streamline by pulling subjects together around a theme, all the better, all the better. Um, and on the coattails of that reason, number three, if you have kids of different ages, unit studies are a great way of bringing multiple grade levels together, ages together, and teaching around that unifying theme. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but if you think about it, you have different ages, different capacity for learning. Your goals are going to be a little bit different when you have them incorporate those different subjects together. Writing is going to look different for your high schooler than it will for, for an elementary age child. So if you're studying a unified theme together, you may be reading things out loud all together. You may uh, be having interactions all together, but then your individual things you'll have your children do will depend upon their age, their grade, and you can adjust those expectations accordingly. Uh, let's see. So by doing that, one of the things I loved about unit studies was we have four kids, 
and they span the age, they span 10 years. So the first three were within the first five years, and then a five-year gap, and our caboose came. Uh, but our kids are very close to one another, and anytime we could incorporate learning together around something like a unit study, then even, you know, we, we would kind of aim for the olders in terms of interest and input, and, you know, the crumbs fall from the table, and so the littles get their share as well. But just being unified, being able to spend time together as a family, siblings learning together has really, the fruit of it is our kids have a really good relationship with one another now as adults. Okay, best reason for last, one of the biggest perks of teaching a unit study is you do not have to know everything there is to know about the subject before you begin. Now, most of us, that makes us feel a little nervous because we think, I need to be an expert before I can teach it to my child. I'm here to tell you that that is not the case. With unit studies, the way we, the way we encourage our children to be enthusiastic about learning and love to learn is by showing them and doing it right alongside them. So with unit studies, give yourself permission to not know everything there is to know, but to enter into that process of learning with your child, discovering with your child, and, and then building that enthusiasm in them and right along with them in yourself. And sometimes we do need outside classes. Sometimes we do need someone who can specialize in a particular area, you know, um, pastor mentioned, you know, high school biology. High school, I teach high school chemistry to homeschoolers. So sometimes, you know, we look for that class, that expert out there. But with unit studies, this is where you can say, what is it that we would love to learn about? And let's do it together. So that's my most exciting reason, reason for trying. You don't have to be the resident expert. All right, well, let's get into some brass tacks. When... When do we do unit studies? What does this look like in our school year? Um, you can actually, before you start your school year, think about, would I like to do a unit study? And do some planning, do some brainstorming as to what you might, might want to do. You can ask yourself, is there a time period in history that we might want to focus on? Is there a special interest one of your kids has that you could then have as your theme and focus on? So planning is good, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but I also encourage you, as you're homeschooling, don't close yourself off to the possibility of unit studies popping up spontaneously. And what I mean by that is something may come up in one, you know, with one of your children um, that where you realize they got a real keen interest in something, and it's something that I don't know anything about. So if something pops up in the middle of a school year, you can do a small unit study. You can, all, you can obviously plan unit study that'll span a semester or even a whole school year, but something might pop up that would be an interest and you can enter into that in a moment's notice. I'm gonna give you a quick example from our homeschooling days. One day, our kids went out for a walk with their abuelito, that's grandpa in Spanish. He lived with us, and so they would walk every day in the morning before we would start school. They came home from the walk, and our son Josiah had a bug in his hand. Okay, and for those of you who hate bugs, <laughs> this is your prime opportunity to say, okay, I'm going to, like, I'm going to, he was really excited about this bug. He'd never seen it before. It was like a beetle. And so I had the opportunity to, like, freak out and have him go dump it in the grass or look at it. So I decided, okay, I'm going to look at the bug. And it was this beetle. It was black with these orange spots. So I found a container that would keep it safe and away from me. And, and we looked at it. And I'm like, wow, look at that bug. It's really cool. It's black. And hey, God put orange, orange markings on that bug. And so I said, well, let's see if we can figure out what it is. And someone early in my homeschooling days said, get your hands on some uh, Audubon field guides. I don't know if you've heard of them. But Audubon Society puts out these field guides. And Costco used to carry them, so I think that's where I got mine. But they are on all different topics of God's creation. So you've got bugs, you've got spiders, um, not my favorite, birds, mammals, you name it. Um, 
And so I grabbed our bug Audubon, and I really didn't think we'd find it, but I started looking for the we, like we all gathered around, all these heads together, and lo and behold, we found we found our bug. It was so exciting. Just that moment kind of set the enthusiasm meter up a bit. So, and then I looked at it and it said, ladybug beetle larva, get out. I didn't even know that ladybugs came from ladybug larva. I thought, you know, eggs, ladybugs. So just that fact alone was something new that we were learning. And so we thus launched this kind of impromptu unit study in our home. And we took a trip to Armstrong's Nursery, and we actually bought a bag of ladybugs, if you can believe it. But ladybugs are friendly bugs. I didn't mind. And we had a peach tree in the backyard that had a ton of fruit and a ton of aphids. So we decided, let's go out and put the bag of ladybugs, give them something to eat. And over the course of several weeks, we would just go out and make some observations watch these ladybugs feast on aphids and and then pretty soon we would go out and I would have the kids take a, a just a journal book pencils they could draw what they saw they could write down what they saw um, and pretty soon these little piles of beautiful yellow bright yellow eggs we found all over our plum tree it was like this is too cool eggs hatched and there were more of these strange black with orange stripes, ladybug beetles, larvae, I should say. And they started feasting on aphids. And long story short is we had this impromptu unit study that was so fun to learn about. All the kids could enter in. And at the end of the day, I mean, Joe, Josiah is 24 years old, and he still talks about the ladybug you know, study that we did that year with our, with our plum tree in his walk. And you'll notice, I put on the board over here, well, what does that look like as a unit study? Can you give me some frame of reference? And so I, I like to think of unit studies, and the front of your handout is also a good picture of it, where you have a theme, a unifying theme in the middle. So for us, that was ladybugs. And then around the, the hub are these spokes to a wheel, you could say, and in the spokes, you think of all the different individual subjects that you might teach in your unit study. So, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, science, art, music, um, Bible should always be there because we can always think, what does the Bible have to say about this? How can we look to the word for, you know, just learning in this area? So you'll notice I put the different the different spokes around the hub of ladybugs. With science, we did observations, the life cycle of the ladybug, of course. With art, they drew pictures of what they saw, the different observations. Reading, we went to the library, got books on ladybugs. We read all about ladybugs. Uh, we could probably find, have found storybooks about ladybugs. With writing, they were writing observations, and older kids writing more, maybe writing a paragraph, maybe doing a report, a five-paragraph essay. Younger ones, maybe just tracing the word ladybug if they're just learning to write. Um, you'll notice math at the bottom has a big X through it. Well, what can you do with math and ladybugs? I could have made them go out and count as many ladybugs as they could find on the tree. Now, if that's going to be... Like, fun for a little little one, let them go count. But for the older ones, don't torture them. Just cross math off. You don't have to include every subject in your unit study. And history, I crossed that one off, too. I guess you could do some, some research on something to do with bugs and how we learned about them over time. But history was crossed out. So long story short is that was an impromptu unit study. We didn't... I didn't plan that ahead of time. Actually, yesterday I was on Facebook, and there was an event today, sorry. It's a ladybug event down in San Diego today. So sometimes you can even find something to do, like go to a ladybug science day down in San Diego. All right, well, at this point, we get to the how. And you may be thinking, you know, I want my kids to learn to love to learn. Okay, I'm going to learn right along with them. I'm in for that, but what if nothing magical happens to me during my school year? What then? What, how do we do these unit studies? Um, take a look at your handout, and I've written down, actually, on the third page, you'll notice a page that says themes, 
And this is not comprehensive. This is just food for thought. This is to get you thinking about what might we want to learn in our unit study. So the first step is always going to be brainstorming. And you can think about um, what will be the hub. History is a great hub because you can choose a slice of time. You can choose a particular event in history. And it, it really works well with what, what literature was written during that period of time. What books were being written? What primary sources can we go to? Um, writing. There's so much you can write about what you're learning in history. Um, math. You can, you, you, know, you can look at that time period and say what kind of discoveries were being made in mathematics during that time period. So history is a great, if, you're, if you can't think of anything at all, history is a great theme you can put at the center point. Science is another one. But pick one you're interested in or one that your children are interested in. And if your kids are like, I don't know, then go with what, what excites you. And that enthusiasm will pass down to them. So this is for you, just food for thought, different areas of themes you can choose. And once you've figured out what your hub will be, what your theme will be, first thing you want to do Well, you'll gather your resources, but the first thing is take a trip to the library. And I know that can sound ominous if you have a lot of kids, but I say pile them all in the car and go to the library. And for those that are old enough, get them their own library card. For them to be able to go and actually choose books that they would like to include in a study builds its momentum. That can be very exciting. So library is a must when you're you're gathering resources. Um, and if you can collect primary source uh, writings from a particular time period, if that's what you're doing, um, always a great idea. On your second page, I've listed, this is not comprehensive. I just pulled some things that, that were super helpful for us, that we enjoyed. So libraries in bold, it's at the top. Um, I wrote down a couple of other things, empty journal books, for either writing or for illustrating, if you're going to incorporate some art. Um, Oversized paper. Oversized paper is great for timelines. Um, We were studying a particular point in history, 2000 BC to 1000 BC. So this is the artwork of my now 30-year-old when he was not 30. Um, But... (laughs) got a cyclops there. We were doing some Greek mythology in that time period and different civilizations that were, um, that existed at that time and what they were doing. And so his had, he was writing things down and he was drawing from some books we had on history. But for a younger child, maybe you're just going to give him a big piece of paper and have them draw while you're reading about history, while you're talking about it. Maybe a younger child is going to draw rather than writing those words down. So you can modify it, but big, big pieces of paper are great. Anthologies. Has anyone ever heard of an anthology? couple. This is called the Anthology of American Literature. You can find anthologies for music. You can find anthologies for literature. This is American literature, colonial through the Romantic era. And the cool thing about an anthology It is a compilation of people who wrote during a particular time period. So this says literature, which it's full of literature, of writings, um, but they also give a lot of historical context for the people who are writing. So it's fabulous for history and for literature included. Never, ever, ever read an anthology from cover to cover. Never do that to your children or yourselves because you, you, you won't be able to. Um, this is for you to look and pick and choose. You know, like colonial period. Oh, there's William, Brad, there's William Bradford who actually sailed on the Mayflower. Oh, let's, let's read the... There's a ton in here from him, but let's just read the one of their voyage where he wrote about what the voyage was like. Or, you know, if you are wanting to read poetry... You'll find people during a time period who wrote poems, who wrote historical narratives, who wrote um, fiction. So anthologies are great for picking and choosing things that you might want to read aloud to your kids. Um, I encourage you with unit studies, do a lot of reading aloud. Bring them all together. It builds that relationship. It builds that enthusiasm for learning. 
They'll have different things to write and do individually, but around the theme when you're learning about it, learn about it together and do a lot of reading aloud. This is a concise Norton recorded anthology of Western music. So if you're studying a time period, and this goes at Gregorian chants of the early church to music of the 1900s, you can actually listen to the composers and the kind of music they were creating. So anthologies are a fabulous uh, resource. There are a lot more. Uh, Let's see, what do I want to show you? Maybe a couple more. This is a series by John Hudson Tyner, and he did a series called Exploring the World of... So there's chemistry, there's biology, it's a lot of the sciences, uh, planet Earth, the, the history of medicine. But what he does is he goes from, historically, like this is from ancient metals to high speed computers. So this is a great book, well written, it has even questions at the end of each section, but this incorporates science, but also history, the history of science. So this has been a fabulous resource for us with unit studies. And then if I'm doing something historical, I, this is old school, I've been around a while, but Genevieve Foster, she, if you happen to be studying a slice of time or something that falls in the range of books she's written, uh, she, hers, her books are very integrated. This is Abraham Lincoln's world, but this is from the time Abraham Lincoln was born until he died, what was happening all across the world, not just in America. So this is a great Genevieve Foster, a great resource for that integrated view of what's happening in history. Biographies. Biographies are fabulous read-alouds. Um, this is something we started way back in our homeschooling of reading aloud. And believe it or not, I have all adult kids, and right now they're all at home, and we just finished reading a biography out loud, Unbroken, which probably some of you have read. But um, anyway, biographies are fabulous for unit study learning. So those are some resources. And you're going to find your own. You're going to find your favorites as you go through the process of learning. So brainstorm and pick your theme. Gather up your resources. Do a lot of reading aloud. And then you're going to decide which spokes of the wheel are going to be included in your study. And you're going to decide what skills your kids need to master based upon their age. So when you look through my material, you won't find a step one, have them write this or have them do that. Because you are the student of your students. You are the one who knows your kids the best, where they are in their reading, where they are in their writing, so you determine what you will have them do for you during that unit study. It'll look different for different themes, and that's okay. It might be spread out over the whole school year. It might be a unit study that just goes through the life cycle of a ladybug. Depends. The other thing I put into your packet are some examples So if you turn past your themes, you're going to find example A, B, and C. And basically, I'm going to keep track of my time. Um, Basically, I just chose three different themes. They're themes that we enjoyed when we were doing homeschooling, when we were still homeschooling. Uh, First one is the theme is poetry. And then I put spokes, the spokes of the wheel, and I wrote down some different ideas and things that we actually did when we did a unit study on poetry. You'll notice mathematics on that page is marked out. Now, the funny thing is, you can actually find YouTube videos on the mathematics of poetry, and it's full of vocabulary and markings and meter and feet and all these things, and Don't have your children do that unless they're super interested in that. It's very detailed and very weighty. So for me, like no mathematics on our poetry unit study. But for a child who's super interested in that, go for it. Our second uh, example, the theme was slavery, looking at England and America, the abolishing of slavery and what that looked like. There's a ton of great resources and books and biographies primary source, Um, and the last one, astronomy. So I I picked one in the sciences, one in more literature, and one history, just as examples. But I want to be mindful of our time and 
have a chance for some question answer. So I think I'm rather than going through an example in detail, I'm just going to open it up to you and see if there are any questions that are popping up in your mind regarding unit studies. Yes. So when you say that you weren't including math in those unit studies, were you not working on math at all during that Thank you for asking that question. So for that example, if a unit study does not incorporate math, my kids were doing their math. And the, for me, it's my philosophy. I always did, I always did a math curriculum for my kids um, that they would incrementally, you know, just um, precept by precept, learn their math. So we did have a curriculum that we always were using. Unit studies are not a replacement of all curriculum. Uh, unit studies are a, are a way of learning certain subjects in your homeschool, at least for me. So math, they always had their math that they were doing. If we could incorporate some math in our unit study, we would absolutely do that as well. But the hardcore learning of math, we had our curriculum. Science for middle school on up, my philosophy, again, we used a solid science curriculum, middle school on up, that they were working through, even though we may have been doing a unit study that touched on something in science. So very good question. Yes? Um, so if I'm in a TSP and they require me to have a report card and you said that it's not a Right, yeah, that, and that will vary depending upon your PSP or who, whomever you are homeschooling through and what they require in terms of determining grades. So that will vary individually, but I encourage you to talk to your, your PSP advisor, whomever, and, and um, work out a way with them that you can incorporate this and then quantify you know, in my mind, if if we if my my children were finishing their assignments, they were we were pro- progressing through in our learning, um, they were completing assignments. Then I would grade them based upon that, and it can put you in a position of, but they're not taking a test that I can actually grade to know where are they. Um, but this type of learning, I'll tell you, just because our kids are grown now, they've all gone to college. We have. We have one with an, an advanced degree, a master's in chemistry, and one who's going into PA school. We, ha- you know, a lot of my grading was subjective when we were uh, when it focused on these areas, this type of learning. But were they completing assignments? Were they growing in their knowledge? And so we, I would grade them based upon that. And then we had math. Math is straightforward. You, you're grading them, and you know A, B, C, wherever they are. Um, or if you do like a, a particular curriculum in science, middle school and high school, there are tests they can take. So there are certain subjects that are very quantifiable, and then there are other subjects where, you know, you're, you you know your student, you know how they're applying themselves, and you can make the judgment call. But ultimately, you've got to connect with your your PSP. Mm-hmm. Good question. Anything else? Yes. Right. You know, our kids have been very successful in college and have, and have benefited immeasurably by this type of learning. I think that integrated, you know, that one reason I said about that integrated view of the world, um, learning, how to, learning how to learn, learning how to do research and to get information and to put it all together and to see how things relate to one another, that has helped them all immeasurably in college. If you have given them tools for how to learn, when they get there, whatever their teachers may require, it's going to be different based upon different teachers and their styles. But uh, we've watched our kids adjust very well to those expectations. But the thing we love the most is, you know, with that overarching view of that spiritual discipleship and always thinking of, you know, the Word of God and how does that speak to what we're learning about. That has, that has really served them well as they've gone to college. They have this biblical grid that they are able to use as they're learning. And um, 
anyway, it's it has benefited. We've I've seen with my own. They they know how to learn. They know how to research, and these skills are really required when you get to college. You're you are. It is true. <laughs> yes. No. So uh, you know, instead of just having something that curriculum box is safe for us, you know, we can climb inside. We feel safe. It gives us the things to say and do. One, two, three. College, you they go. It's not like that. It is very open ended. They have to know how to study, how to learn, how to get their resources together. Uh, so this is a, a helpful method. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Well, th- you know, even unit studies with youngers, um, you know, you are going to tailor it according to your child's age and their need. What we tended to do was kind of shoot for the olders, but incorporate everybody. So Josiah, or Josiah, I'll give an example of him again, total wiggle worm you know, little guy who could not keep himself planted in a seat for very long. So if I was reading something, if we were doing a unit study and I was reading, he would be on the floor with pattern blocks. And I gave him permission to, you know, as long as it wasn't disruptive to what we were doing, but he could listen better. He could hear better if his hands were busy. So that's what we did. My my little guy, the caboose, I remember one time we were studying ancient Rome, that time period. And you know, he was a little guy, so I wasn't really expecting a lot from him at that time, but it, it was read-aloud time, and so the older ones are around the table, and I think he was sitting in a chair with his little bowl cut, and uh, we were reading about uh, someone in history by the name of Marcellus. Well, his dad's name is Marcello, and you don't even think a little one really thinks of you by your first name, because he's dad to, you know, his kids, but he said, he just piped up and said, Dad is in Rome. <laughs> I was like, I was like, whoa, he's getting something. I didn't even think he was listening. So, so you know, if you can you can modify what it's going to look like and what your expectation will be. But I think it's a great way of approaching learning, even with a student who has challenges, a lot of reading aloud, and then you have them do things that are not going to frustrate them, but that are going to grow them in in those areas that they need help. Yes. Um, we've used a lot of unit studies, but they were actually curriculum-based unit studies. Mm-hmm. Grandmother's World. Right. Books like that. And um, I have children with dyslexia and ADD, and they're kinesthetic learners. So they have to move to learn. Yes. And this gets them moving and doing projects, and they learn better that way. Nice. So that's my father's world, you said? I've used that one. Right. I've Mm-hmm. And there are there are curriculums out there that are unit study curriculums. So, you know, you are going to find what works well for you. And if it's just small focused unit studies, or if it's more of a of a broad way of approaching certain subjects throughout your school year, don't be afraid of tweaking it and of seeing what works best. Was there a hand back there? Yes. I have a son who just the Mm-hmm. Yes. If I were to even consider this type of unit study, anything like what would you even start? Because he is so no, I give me the book, I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna finish it and you'll see. Right, right. Well that's pretty awesome to have a tenth grader. Right. Yeah, he'll do that. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, the first of all, if he's diligent in what he's doing, he he's going to find his way when he moves beyond high school with you. But you can you can for him you could focus on whatever the theme is. Really focus more on a research project for him. That would be fabulous preparation for for college. 
And so instead of the, here's the curriculum, follow it, read it, you're done, you could you know, go to the library and get a stack of books that, hey, we're going to read this one together. I think that's still really special if you can incorporate reading out loud because just you can say, I'm interested in this. So let's, let's, uh, here's the, here are the books, and he probably is going to want to read a lot of them on his own, which he can do that. But you can read some of the material together so that you can have some discussion you know, even doing that, um, that's hard for some kids. Our caboose, Aaron, he, he was my, my one. It was hard to have that give and take discussion. And maybe it's because he was more solo. The other three, you know, being older were, were gone. There was more group discussion with the olders. But even getting them comfortable talking about the, what they're learning and, I, and their ideas about it and, you know, having a give and take and, and questions, asking questions, that, that will you know, maybe ease him into that type of learning where, and then he can do some writing. He could even put together a research, you know, paper on it, or you can still give him the, the, here's, he probably needs his list of, this is what I need to get done. You can still give him the list, but just modify it to, you know, have it be more interactive. That might help, but he's going to do fine from the sounds of it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then they have to go out and do, and do. very cool. And, and that's the, the Boy Scout merit badge handbooks. Okay. Cool. Right, right. Yes. Hands on things. Very good. I like that idea. So I'm going to keep track of our time. I think we're still good. Question. Yes. Because we're not quite there yet. I, I guess I'm confused on like, because normally high school they go by credits and like certain amount of time. So how does yes. how does how do you do the unit study through high school? Right. And count all mm-hmm. the, you know, how do you do that? Right. That's a great question. And what I encourage parents to think about is to think about a worldview type curriculum that actually looks at. Um, you know, in my mind, you think of, well, with high school, you do have certain courses that you have to take. So math, you're going to have your math curriculum. In my opinion, science, get a solid science curriculum for, for science. Um, with regard to history, literature, writing, uh, reading, um, you're going to have certain things that you have to do. You have to do American government. You have to do economics. You, you know, there, your certain PSP will give you that list. But if you can find a worldview curriculum that, that enables you to, in essence, um, combine your subjects, like we, you know, we did have our courses, specific courses that we were doing, but this is what's cool about high school is, is if you're studying American history, then you can, you know, this anthology where you are reading primary source documents um, there are tons of books that you can incorporate that are vi- that have literature, history, you know what's happening in the world during this time period that you can actually incorporate in this type style of learning actually pretty easily. Um, so, but I like the worldview curriculum that says this is what's happening in the world. Let's look at these different ideas that men had and and philosophies that were expressing themselves, and let's always look at what the Word of God has to say and let that be the grid. And it's such a great time for them. They're starting to think in very analytical terms and thinking about why things happened the way they happened. What were the ideas of the men who wrote at the time that influenced history? And um, so it really is not as difficult as it sounds, but I would start with that list of classes you have to have credits for, and then look for a worldview curriculum that incorporates the literature during that time period, the history of that time period, what's going on in the arts and sciences, and pull those things together. Yeah. It can be very exciting. So is it just a lot of documenting when you get to that point in high school? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Documenting what books they're reading, and then, you know, what, what you're requiring in terms of writing and researching and things of that nature. Yes. Yeah, great questions. Yes. Uh, we do a, uh, and if they want to incorporate 
Yes. Right, right, right. So you're saying, what if I have a set curriculum, but I also want to do something like this? So there has to be a give and take. And so the best thing I can encourage you to do is look at what that box curriculum is requiring. Look at the unit study that you want to do. And and if you are, and you're looking at the spokes of the wheel, and, and if you have specific things in mind, like for writing, but your box curriculum has all this other stuff for your child to do, well, you know what? They don't need to do that because they're doing it over here. So it's going to take some kind of managing on your part and evaluating on your part to say, no, this is the writing we're going to work on. We Yes, we're going to work on these skills that maybe our boxed curriculum tells us are important for this age and this stage of learning, but we can do, oh, excuse me, we can do it through that unit study so that, no, you don't have to do that workbook. We're going to be writing and working on editing through, you know, what we're, what we're looking at over here. So you can even... You know, just decide this, but not that. Did you ever have your children pick units that they wanted to study? You know, right. Well, and that's something that, um, you know, ladybug with a little boy and bugs, that's kind of a a gimme. Um, You know, it's interesting. As your kids grow, you're going to see, you're going to see things come, come up and come out. And you can even ask them. I mean, that's great for that give and take. Is there something that you've been wanting to learn more about in history or in the sciences and, you know, ask them. And if they can't come up with anything, then think about what you would normally be doing, where you would be in history, where you would be, and just start there. But things may come up as you go. And so that's where you say, okay, let's do a unit study on that and pull those resources together. Yes. How are we doing? Um, Oh, I see my hand back there. So are we, is that our time? Time? Five minutes. All right, five more minutes. Any more pressing questions? We still have, yeah, we have five minutes. <laughs> Anything else? Yes. Right. Right. Yes. You know, it depends on what the unit study is. So some are short based upon just what you're doing, like our, our, our um, ladybugs over there. Um, but, you know, an exa- if you look at my, like my example A is on poetry, the theme is poetry. With that one, you know, that was really a focus on writing and then literature, getting to read. And so this one, this one extended, and I'm, I'm trying to, you know, think about it in my mind, but probably like a whole semester but even if you are going along and you feel like, well, we've kind of tapped this out, it's okay to say, we're done with this unit study right now. It might come to an end and you see we've really covered everything I wanted to cover. I thought it would take this number of weeks and it took a few, a few less. But with this one, we, with reading, we read excerpts of poetry from a variety of sources. Um, I even you know, put down a couple of, like William Cooper, he lived in the time of John Newton, you know, in England, when um, slavery was in the process of being abolished, and he wrote some amazing hymns. He was a Christian man who actually really battled depression. But we read his poetry. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in an unfathomable minds of never, of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. You know, we read a lot of poetry. And, you know, here with little little ones, you might want to read something more along the lines of Shel Silverstein. He's an American poet. And uh, here's one I liked. He said, it's called Snowball. I made myself a snowball as perfect as could be. I thought I'd keep it as a pet and let it sleep with me. I made it some pajamas and a pillow for its head. Then last night it ran away, but first it wet the bed. So, <laughs> you know, with poetry you can have a lot of fun. But I also, we, we, I taught my kids um, different, for writing, I taught them about the different elements of poetry. So I grabbed a book on writing poetry, and it has short little sections in there on metaphors and similes and personification and imagery and alliteration. We just took a lot of time with that. We read poetry we we wrote they wrote some poems 
This, of course, was done by my daughter, not by my sons. But <laughs> this, this is, she named her flower Tom. So we were learning about personification. And Tom, a bright red flower, was sunning himself. His, and this is not so much a poem as it is prose. His family played around while his mom and dad watched. He is a happy flower. His favorite thing is a gentle shower to wash his face. He watches my every move because, his, because he's worrying that I'll come and pluck him off his stem and take him home. So that's personification. The flower had a name. It washes its face. Um, so we were that, that unit study, we extended it out. We were reading poetry and learning about the history of those poets when they lived. We were writing poetry. We didn't do mathematics. They were drawing. They were art. We incorporated art. Um, science, what do you do with that? You know, it's interesting. I, I actually found a quote. Um, someone said, poetry and science go way back. Over the centuries, they have occasionally gotten together like old friends who find themselves in the same city and meet up for tea, only to head home the next day and lose touch again. Much has changed since the two disciplines' earlier encounters, which resulted, for instance, in late 1700s scientific treatises written in poetic form. So in the 1700s, scientists wrote their what they were learning about their scientific endeavors. They wrote it in poetic form because people loved to read poetry. And so they wanted people to read about their scientific discoveries and interests. Anyway, so there's even you can even incorporate science with your poetry. Um, history, you can research those poets. When did they live? What, were, what was influencing them in their lives? What was going on in history? Um, and then the Bible, man, read the Psalms. You can look for all of those poetic elements in the scriptures. I even wrote some verses down. But anyway, that would, we could extend that out over a whole semester because we're, we're, we're learning so much. Um, but it will depend upon what the unit study is. And if you feel like we've kind of tapped it out, it's okay to say we're done with that one and move on. All right, I'm probably close to, close to time. You all have been fantastic. I have so enjoyed getting to hear your questions and spend some time blowing some wind in your sails for homeschooling. So thank you so much for your attention.